Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Thinking Coach with David Petrozzano. We're just waiting for David to join us. Uh, he, should be, uh, he should be here very shortly. Uh, looking forward to the questions that you submitted. Uh, so we're all fired up and ready to go. We'll, we'll, the Facebook feed will be coming up shortly, so you'll be able to join us over on Facebook. If you have any questions you want to ask us, uh, if you have any questions you want to ask us there, you can do um, as well. Uh, if you have any questions you want to ask us there, you can do that as well. Um, and, and you can ask us questions on Facebook to go with it as well. So we're just, we're just getting started. Um, I'm up in Perth, been up in Perth for the last few days, so I'm broadcasting from a new location. Uh, I'll be here for the next, uh, for this broadcast, and then uh, obviously revert back to normal uh, on Friday when we have the, um, the great sports debate uh, with my good friend uh, Kieran at the end of the week, um, which will be this Friday, back to normal this Friday, because obviously last week we, we broadcasted it on a Saturday. So we're just waiting for David to join us. I'm just going to check to see how we're going to make sure we're all good to go. Um, Just confirming, confirming that, getting ourselves set and ready to go. As I say, you can catch us. We are now live on Facebook, so you can catch us there as well. If you have any questions, you can ask, you can ask us there, uh, and we'll add those in um, as well today. Uh, so we've got some great questions to get us started with. We've got a list of questions here, which I'll, I will be asking. Uh, first off, when we start in just a little bit, um, what's coming up the rest of the week? Uh, starting um, on Friday, we have the great sports debate. Um, we also have part three in how to build a successful sports program. Uh, that'll be coming up this weekend. I know that uh, part three was supposed to come up last weekend uh, and we've been it hasn't, it hasn't happened yet, so this will be part three. That'll be happening uh, broadcast this weekend uh, and there are a couple of other things that will be going on uh, we've just got some tech issues at David's end so I'm just going to find out where we are um, he's coming uh, we've just got some technical issues um, always these six always throw us into uh, throw us into moments of, um, moments of difficulty but we'll, we will get there um, and everything will be happening um, as it should be. So, yeah, so that's what's coming up on Sport Rex, on our Sport Rex channel and uh, simulcast on Facebook in the next couple of days. You'll have the great sports debate on Friday. Uh, and there may be, there'll probably be a couple of other programs as well, a couple of other uh, different programs related around uh, different sport um, as well. But just stay tuned for that. Keep an eye on what we're doing. Uh, David's about to join us. So the technical issues are, uh, are through. Uh, and I welcome David in just a moment uh, when he joins us, and we'll get started. There he is. There's the man, uh, all the way from uh, uh, from Canada, from uh, where he is. So, David, good to see you, mate. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you too, Jerome. Sorry about the delay there. Uh, tech technology issues never seems to fail. <laughs> well, last week, last week it was me forgetting to send you. The link, uh, <laughs> my fault, my bit. This week it's technical issues. There's been other things before. It always happens. I was just letting our viewers know that I'm not in Mandra at the moment. I'm up in Perth. I've been up in Perth for the last week, um, so I'm broadcasting from um, I'm broadcasting from my hotel uh, up there at the moment. So um, yeah, so that's where I am. So it's good to see you again. Uh, how, how's everything been going? Yeah, good, Jerome. It's good to see you too. You know, things are going okay uh, this way. Busy time right now um, with the, we're, you know, we're entering the fall, which is, um, I mean, basketball is a 12 month a year sport, but uh, it is uh, 
just a little bit different in the fall. It's it's kind of the the classic basketball season. So everything's busy right now. Um, the weather is turning where we are as well. So it's kind of dark and damp and, um, you know, that lovely uh, British Columbia rainforest, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, rain, you know, cold and rain and, and dampness. So otherwise things are good, man. Family's good. And just excited for another conversation. Yeah. Um, a little bit like that here yesterday and, and a little bit like that here today, dark and damp, uh, uh, yesterday we had uh, we had quite strong winds around the place, so it's quite quite uh, interesting in that regard. But um, just quickly, a friend of yours who you know very well, Scott Morris, the New Perth Wildcats coach, I actually noticed yesterday uh, he did a live Zoom with a group of grassroots sports coaches here in West Australia, and he was answering questions uh, and doing some coaching development with them. So uh, he's he's hit the ground running um, already. And uh, he's getting right into it, working with the community, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, fantastic. I was really excited for him. And when um, when that announcement was made and, and uh, made official and, you know, I think it's great for the sport in WA. He's uh, he's an excellent coach and um, but uh, an even better person. Um, and, uh, you know, he's certainly uh, done done a lot of um good for for the game here and uh you know cares about the game cares about what he's doing uh so i couldn't be happier for you know somebody that that i have a lot of respect for that i care for uh like that to be in a place that i care for um and to be uh, seeing a lot of people that um, that matter to me out in wa as well so it's uh it's it's uh it's a, it's a great fit i think i think we're gonna i think we're gonna end up calling him scotty morrison to avoid the comparisons with the Prime Minister of this country. Uh, I think that's probably what it'll end up going. So we'll see how we go. Anyway, we've got some questions to get us started and there'll be some questions that will no doubt pop up online. Um, there's some quite in-depth questions this week. Uh, there's eight of them and they're quite in-depth, whether we get to all of them because it, it, there's a bit of unpacking to do here with them. Um, but the first one is from Raj in Pakistan. Uh, he asks, how important is a philosophy to coaching and what makes up a coach's philosophy? Yeah, excellent question, Raj. Um, first of all, really excited to to, to tackle this one because um, you know a coaching philosophy is is kind of where we all begin uh, when we uh, start thinking about the way that we are going to go about doing what it is that we do as coaches. It starts with um, understanding who we are as a person um, and how that applies to the coaching. Uh, world and to, to, you know, to, to the job that we have as coaches. I think a coaching philosophy fundamentally needs to start uh, with what matters to you. What, what do you think is important? Um, what do you think is important from a, an interpersonal and from a, a behavioral attitude, mindset, um, you know, um, standpoint? What, what, what are my values? Uh, what are my principles? And as you question yourself and go through this, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's, 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 it's a process of self-exploration. Self um, you, you really start to, to, to paint the picture of what you as a coach what you are going to stand for. And fundamentally, that's where it really starts with your coaching philosophy. I think it starts with these big picture ideas. And then of course, once you have these you know, um, ideas down, what you're really trying to do is, is figure out how do, how, how do these translate to the sport and to the team environment? Um, and so, you know, if you have, you know, important values around hard work and respect um, and competitiveness, uh, for example, then what does that look like for your team? Um, and then you start to take these big picture values and principles and, and things and, and translate it into something actionable for your team um, on the day-to-day. -day. And so now on a day-to-day, -day, you're thinking, okay, well, if we are... Um, you know, talking about being a competitive group and, and we have, 
we treat each other with respect, then you know you you identify a set of behaviors and and mutual understandings that your team can then live out, um, and that tells you how you structure your day, how you structure your sessions, how you you know what you emphasize to your team, uh, the manner in which you coach them. Right? Um, you can't have a coaching philosophy built on respect if you treat your players disrespectfully um, or if you allow themselves to treat each other disrespectfully. Um, and so it, it really kind of flows from, from the big picture down um, to a smaller and smaller, or I should say, you know, lower and lower, more specific level all the way to, hey, what does this mean um, for my individual athletes. And, you know, if we are, uh, you know, sticking with the same examples, you know, if we are a group that, you know, we're built upon values of communication, okay, and honesty. Um, well, I have to coach my players um, with honest feedback. Um, and, you know, we have to be able to coexist together um, in a way that that promotes honesty and um, and sometimes that you know honesty is radical right because you know we're, we're, we're very often more concerned with feelings or you know we don't want to come across as 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 rude and there's a difference between being honest and just being mean um, you can be honest without being a jerk so to speak uh, but if you're if you're your philosophy is built upon honesty, you need to be honest. And then you need to accept honesty back in return um, as a coach. So bottom line, I, I would suggest that a coaching philosophy is, um, is like the, um, you know, the entire approach that you take to coaching it starts with the big picture and it works its way down to how you live out your coaching how your players and your assistant coaches and everyone else associated with you, how they live out their membership in the team um, all the way down to telling you how it is you're going to practice and how it is you're going to, you know, talk to each other. Um, and it really starts with your coaching philosophy. And then the final little piece of that puzzle is, is for sure going to be your technical tactical aspects um, of your coaching philosophy. I want to play fast. I want to play slow. You know, I want to play ball control. I want to, you know, play off the pass, um, whatever is relevant to your sport. Um, but it definitely does include, you know, the tactical and the technical elements of the game as well. But again, these need to connect into these other big picture items. Um, and if you're going to emphasize, have a philosophy built on, you know, teamwork, I'll take basketball, for example, then, you know, it, it'll be, it might be more difficult to have an isolation heavy type of, of system uh, because again, you want everything to kind of be working together. So that, that, that's how I would go about beginning that discussion. Yeah, it, it is important, isn't it? Coaching philosophy is everything. As I, as I often say to coaches, it underpins, it underpins the direction. It underpins what you're about, how you're going to go about it. Uh, it is a very important thing to have, um, and it does does it, I, I guess it does take a while to to craft together. It's not something that comes together overnight. Uh, it takes time for it to develop. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but innovation and iteration, like coaching philosophies, are are you know exactly that. Like you you have to. You have to start somewhere, right? Like you, you, I, I don't, I don't think coaches should wait for the for the right moment to start writing their coaching philosophy down because the moment will never come. You'll always be constantly rethinking, changing, you know, all that. But um, you know, it's going to. Uh, there will be different iterations of it over the course of your career. Um, it's difficult, I would say, to see major foundational changes in season, um, right? Uh, when it comes to the philosophy, some things might change in the way that it's being applied, uh, the way that it's sort of being lived out. Uh, 
but you know, year to year, there could be some significant changes about what what begins to matter to you uh, year, you know, on a year to year basis. So, yeah, it takes time. My I've been coaching what you know, however many years, and um, my my coaching philosophy um, is in constant evolution uh, and uh, and and always changing because at the end of the day, my own, my own thoughts about different things are constantly uh, evolving and constantly changing. So I think it's only normal that we do the same uh, with our coaching philosophy. All right. Well, this one, this question comes from Colin in Brisbane and um, there's a bit to unpack here as well. Uh, How would you as a coach deal with a situation where you discover a member of your squad is cheating in order to, is cheating in order to improve their performance, what would you do? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, um, the cheating is, uh, you, you know, my, my head goes to doping. Um, that's where my, that's where my Doesn't brain Doesn't make so here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for me that there are some really strict uh, internal moral standards when it comes to participating in sport. Um, so, you know, I'm the, I'm more so the type of person who I'm not going to look for a loophole, um, right. So to speak, I'm, I'm going to in, enforce the standards of conduct and ethical, uh, sport that we have as an organization, whether that's the club or that's my own, my own standards as the head coach, um, and the leader of the program. Um, so, you know, I would for sure go through the, um, you know, the appropriate channels in terms of the adjudication, uh, process, because the athletes themselves, of course, have rights, um, and they are innocent until proven guilty as, as, um, as we all are. So I would definitely begin that process. If it comes to my attention that a member of my squad is, let's stay with doping is, is, is doping using uh, banned substances. Then I would go through into the process of reporting that appropriately to my own, um, you know, superiors, uh, such as it was. And I would just see where that goes. Um, you know, I, I definitely, I've had this happen before. Um, and I, I believe that I would have regretted acting otherwise, um, you know, down the line, uh, if I had, you know, somehow sought out, a, like I say, a loophole or, or some, some other way to, to make it possible for the athlete to, to, you know, to cheat in that way and to remain a member of the team and to remain in competition and so forth. Um, I think that ethical sport is, a foundation of what it is that we do as sports people. And so, you know, we're all responsible for acting as guardians of the game uh, and uh, as responsible leaders in this field and in this area, specifically when it comes to doping. So that is how I myself would, would approach that situation. I would make sure that everybody's rights are being respected, but I would um, get into the appropriate process so that, you know, the adjudication can occur um, appropriately. I, I often find that, you know, we need to, I need to remind coaches at all levels that they, that they are still, even though they might be at amateur level or they might be a junior level, the WADA code or the ASADA codes do still apply and they can still be held accountable. Uh, should they should they not do the right thing by those codes? So it is important that they remember that. Um, you know, having coached um, at a high performance level, where we've got a, you've got to sign sign an ethical uh, code, and you've got to agree to those things. It is it is important to remember that. You know, you can still be. Um, yeah, there's, I guess it's important to remember that there, you're still responsible. And you need to uh, you need to act accordingly and do the right thing, certainly. Yes, yes. And I mean, when it comes to doping, for example, in Canada, we have the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport. 
And once you reach a certain level of competition, um, you know, the athletes and the coaches are all, we all undergo yearly um, training uh, to renew our, our um, license for lack of a better term when it comes to this. Um, and then there's randomized testing um, that can occur throughout the, the season of competition. And, you know, I, I think that there is, obviously there are other areas that an athlete could be cheating, not just in doping. Um, but, and I'll come back, I'll circle back around to that one in a second. But I think that when it comes to clean sport and, uh, and whatnot, um, you know, we are, we are constantly needing to remind ourselves that the, we're role models as well. Um, and, you know, allowing a team member to cheat in that way is also sending the signal that, you know, the ends justify the means. Um, and that's not the case. Um, you know, certainly when it, in this, in this regard, uh, we want to, we want to, if you're working with young people, um, then obviously the impact of the coach is significant and whether or not it impacts them or it doesn't at the end of the day, um, it matters that we respect ourselves enough to do the right thing. And you do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it's easy and not because it's hard. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. And I just want to circle back to, um, you know, just mentioning that there are, there's more than one way to cheat, of course. And, and so we've sort of taken this question and gone in that direction. But always, I always uh, ask myself when situations arise, um, in particular in counseling other coaches, um, but I, I've asked myself in the past when things have arisen. And, and basically, I, I've asked myself this, you know, like if if good things on the field of competition were to come from this athlete's participation, i.e. we win a championship, um, am I going to want to, you know, wear the championship ring? Will I be proud of that championship? ring? Am I going to want to talk about that championship? Am I going to want to explain to my children and my grandchildren um, about how we won that championship? And, and if the answer is no, then, you know, cause I, I, I do have, I do have some confidence in my moral compass. Um, then, you know, that is a starting point for me to be able to say, Hey, um, this is not something that, that I, I, I need to permit to continue. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it, in some ways it's pretty cut and dry. It's pretty black and white. Um, but I know that in other ways, um, if not, and I would say this, if you are an assistant coach and you are in a situation where you become aware of like this, somebody cheating, um, and your head coach is not acting, um, to, to stop it, that this is is one of the situations and one of the very few, very rare situations where you have a responsibility to the game, to yourself and to the athletes to supersede your head coach. And if, if you are like, if it is in my, this is my opinion, um, because something is right or something is wrong. Cheating is wrong if the organization or the head coach is not acting upon it, it, it doesn't mean that it's right. Um, and we have a responsibility. And I, I will say this, even in terms of your own career and your own professional outlook, take a stand for what is right. Even if it's extremely difficult in the moment, that is not you being disloyal. That is you being loyal to good values and to a clean game. And that has far more value than any sort of recommendation that might come from someone who is allowing cheating to persist. You don't want that person's recommendation. 
Um, because obviously within sports, it's a small world within our own sports, everybody knows everybody. Um, I mean, here we are connected, you know, the way that we connected back when, but here is a friend of mine who's now coaching the Wildcats down in your state. Like the world is small is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so you don't want a recommendation from that type of person. You want to make sure that you do what's right because it's right. Um, it, it, very it, 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 yeah it's 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 a question that has a lot to unpack as we say um richard from argentina has asked uh this is an interesting one how would you handle a difficult club organization official who wants to interfere in your coach oh there you go there's the 60 million dollar question uh <laughs> you know coaches coaches we suffer from um, you know, you know, there's the, I think the, the, the coaches, the real coaches, let me put it this way. The real coaches who are in the fire, we suffer from imposter syndrome, right? We're always like, wow, how did I get to this place? And now I'm needing to do all this and, and I do it and it's working, but like deep down, I'm like, man, I got to keep working. Cause I'm not like, there's nothing really different between me and somebody else. Right. Um, and so it's one of the things that drives us. I think a lot of coaches, um, suffer with, with imposter syndrome. The flip side of that is the professional imposter syndrome where, you know, everybody thinks that they can do what we do. Um, and the fact of the matter is that they can't. Um, and so there's a lot to unpack there in terms of the club official, is the club official someone to whom you report? Is the club official someone with a background in the sport? Is the club official someone um, who has longevity and has demonstrated their, their, you know, their abilities over time? Are you new to the club? Are you old in the club? Do you have a pre-existing relationship? Like there's a lot there. So the answers to all of these questions and more would, I think, dictate how you respond. But I will give you some general ideas. Um, you know, the best policy for me is honesty, um, I guess, just in general. So I would make a point to be respectful with that club official by uh, arranging a conversation uh, and trying to understand where that person's coming from. And generally speaking, most people offer input, advice, ideas from a good place, right? Like they come from a good place. They want the team to perform better even if you're a great team you can still be better um and so they're coming not necessarily from a you know i don't trust this coach uh because if he's a club official and you're the coach of the club in theory he had some role in helping you get to that or at least not getting in the way of that happening so i i would view that person as being on my team as being um a part of the quote-unquote extended coaching team and I would, you know, um, I would do a couple of things. One, I would arrange a conversation, try to uh, see where they're coming from. I would also, you know, see if I need to make that a regular thing. Um, and you, you know what, you'd be, sh- you'd be amazed to see uh, how a little bit of, a little bit of honey um, makes a bit, a big difference where, you know, let's say this is a life member of the club, for example, and someone who's been around for a long time. You know, um, and they want to they want to still contribute. You know what? What's it going to cost you to have a weekly coffee with that with that person? Nothing. Have a conversation about the team. You know, ask their opinion. What do you think about, you know, the team that we're playing coming up? I mean, if they've been around, they know the club, they'll probably spend half the time talking about something that happened 15 years ago. But that's fine too, right? Like this is all part of building a relationship with, um, with your, with your, within your organization. Um, so I would do those two things. I would, I would make sure to not speak ill of that person's contributions to anyone, um, including your assistant coaches. Um, I would take the responsibility as the head coach 
to take charge of the situation and um, uh, and, and go from there with that individual. I would also make sure to draw some clear boundaries with that person um, and to make sure that the person understood, like, I am open and here is how I'm open. Here is me proving to you that I'm open. I'm open to your input and to your ideas. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Um, what I ask, though, is that we, we work together on this and, you know, you bring those ideas to me. Um, and that we can talk about them together. Um, and so that he's not, you know, you know, proactively being public with, um, with those sorts of things. And, and I'm, 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 I just want to make sure that I'm drawing those boundaries down. Um, and the flip, and then not the flip side, but the final point I would say in that is I would make sure that the person understood um, that I, you know, that I would be not only open, but I'm confident enough in myself that I can say no to him or her, uh, regarding any advice that they might give. And I think it's all well and good to do everything that I just said, and it's important that you do, but I do not want to placate that person. Um, I'm in the role, uh, I'm in the seat. It's my responsibility. It's my duty to make the decisions that I need to make. A good decision maker takes in as much information as he can or she can, and then you make a decision. And that also means being ready to say no to people within the organization um, who might need to continue to learn their role um, within the process. So inclusion and um, openness and personalizing that, but also confidence and being firm in the ability to say, thank you for your idea. I'll definitely think about it. Um, you know, keep them coming, but here's what I'm going to be doing and give them a little bit of, of, of insight into your thought process um, so that they can understand like where you're coming from. No, I'm going to start this player and I'm going to, I'm going to play this lineup because of these reasons and this is what I see every day in practice and, you know, so on and so forth. And like I said, at the end of the day, most people come from a good place. Um, and I think that generally speaking, you can navigate most situations uh, by proceeding in something like that. Yeah, that's what I would say. Um, okay. Uh, Neve from Ireland asks, how do you switch down after a game? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I need time. I think we talked about that last time. I, I need time. Um, but it's, it's eerie. It's, it's almost like a, an invisible wall right around to give or take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, two thirty AM. I'm done. Um, you know, so I need time depending on the nature of the game and depending on what I have coming up. And by nature of the game, I mean, you know, did we win? Did we lose? Obviously, um, you know, that has a, an impact. Um, what's, what's up next? Do I have a game the next day? Do I not have a game the next day? I like time. I like to watch the game really quickly after the game. Um, so part of my process when possible is to rewatch the game um, or at least the, the packages of, of clips that my assistant coaches will have provided to me um, at some point before I go to bed. So, for example, if we play again the next day, when I walk out of the facility, you know, after speaking to the team and taking care of whatever else I need to take care of, I'm on to the next game. I have to be. Um, and so I'm digesting the, the scout and the, the prep that, came, that comes in from one of the assistants um, or that I did myself, depending, and I'm preparing for the next game. Um, and so I might, I might only watch a set of pack of clips, uh, clip packages that somebody will have cut up for me rather than the whole game. Um, but if I don't have a game to prepare for the next day, then yeah, I'd like to watch the game. I like to unwind and do something different as well. Um, I mean, 
I have about three or four hours right before I kind of hit the wall. So um, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I do like to do something. I might watch a might watch something on 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 TV or Netflix or whatnot. Or I'm a big um, I'm a big fan of of uh, like Formula One. Uh, so um, you know I might hop on and and, uh, and and even play some Formula One. You know on a on a on a PlayStation or something. Um, but I, I, I do kind of do something to take my mind off of uh, it once I've kind of gone through the first phase uh, of the post-mortem. Uh, but I do, I do the post-mortem as quickly as possible after the game because it's fresh. Um, and once I've done that, uh, I try to unwind. And that's usually about, you know, that helps me get on that downward kind of, uh, trajectory so that by the time I hit my my time, you know, I'm ready to, to, to get some rest. We'll finish up. We've got a couple more questions to go. We've got one here from Jim in Brazil. Um, how should does a new coach like myself seek out a mentor? Sorry, could you say that again? Jim from Brazil asked, how should does a new coach like myself, seek out a mentor. Oh yeah, great. Um, well, Jim, you know I think that's a that's a, a really important question for coaches to um, to ask and uh, to find a solution which works for them in their environment. The first thing I would say is, um, you know, your mentors are going to be key to your career. Um, it's, it's very rare that, uh, coaches, you know, navigate a career on their own entirely. It's, it's extremely rare. So your, your, your career is really only going to be as good as the, the relationships that you build along the way with your peers, um, in your contemporaries, but also the networks of mentors that you have, um, wherever they might be. So it's very important that, that young, young or new coaches seek out mentors. So that you're, you're asking a good question and the fact that you're asking it is fantastic. It's you're, you're ahead of, of where a lot of other coaches might, might be. So, so good on you for that. You know, I think that digital communication just makes everything possible, right? So it's possible for me to be your mentor, Jim. Um, it's possible for Jerome to be your mentor. It's possible for, you know, a coach anywhere in the world uh, to be your mentor. And, you know, that is uh, one of the wonderful aspects of, um, you know, 2021 living. The fact that we can be on um, different continents, different time zones, and still connect, um, you know, over a Zoom call or on text or whatever the case may be. That's just a, a wonderful thing, which leads me to say, cast a wide net, you know, be, be ready to cast a wide net, you know, do not think only in terms of what is around you. Um, oftentimes, uh, it is harder to find a mentor locally where you are than it is to find a mentor from somewhere else. I don't know why that is. Um, but I think that's true. Um, so cast a wide net. Be proactive. Uh, contact people, and you know, ask people if they would be interested in a coffee if you're, you know, local, um, in a, a lunch meeting or something like that, or even a virtual coffee uh, where you can. You know, and the coffee is kind of convenient because there's a start to the coffee and there's an end to the coffee. And there's a time when the coffee is warm and there's a time when the coffee is cold, assuming you drink hot coffee. So like the, it kind of provides a natural start and a natural end, which is something that as a mentor, you know, we appreciate the fact that somebody is considerate of our time as well. Um, and there's a subliminal consideration that is there when you and so I use coffee it could be anything else but but I think you get the idea 
be proactive in contacting people. Would you like to, are you open to meeting for coffee? I would love to pick your brain about certain things. Um, and, you know, I think you'll find that, you know, more often than not, people uh, are going to be open to that sort of interaction or that sort of, you know, a discussion. So, you know, email, um, you know, email people, uh, send, I mean, I don't know today, but send a letter, uh, you know, I, I, when I receive a handwritten letter, I never receive handwritten letters, but I received one the other week and I'm like, this is cool. Like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to read it and I'm going to respond to this person because now it's so uncommon. Right. Um, so yeah, cast a wide net, uh, find people that you, um, you know, are interested in learning about first, uh, and then learning from after, uh, but you want to learn about, you want your mentor to be somebody that you're interested about, right? So somebody that's done something that is cool or has been to places that are cool or interesting to you that, you know, are within your sport, but also outside of your sport, it's okay to have, you know, a, a, um, a mentor as a coach who is not at all in sport at all. Um, they could be a business person or they could be a teacher um, or they could be, you name it, okay? But there's something about that person that you have come across that just really is like, wow, that sounds like a really interesting, you know, person. I want to talk, I would love to talk to them and pick their brain about certain things. And, and so I would say that, like, reach out, right? Like, contact me, contact Jerome, contact whomever else that you would like to have that relationship with and um, begin those conversations. And then, you know, continue that um, connection by following up and... Um, you know, not going into that discussion with like necessarily an ask, right? Where, you know, you're, you're, you're asking for help on a job or, or you're, you know, these sorts of things, you, you know, you have to think of a mentoring relationship as watering a garden and you get to have uh, an impact on the, on who is helping you water your garden. Right. Um, and so you don't necessarily want to say, Hey, like, I'm trying to do this right now. Can you help me out with that? That person doesn't know you. Um, so, you know, definitely uh, cast a wide net, be creative, um, be proactive and contact people. And uh, honestly, I would probably say finally contact lots of people. Uh, and, uh, you know, just like anything else, a lot of people are going to say no, or you might not hear back from them. And all that tells you is you probably wouldn't have wanted them as a mentor anyway. Um, if they don't get back to you. So, you know, you just keep, just keep moving along and eventually you're going to find your core group of people that are going to be um, in your corner and helping you guide you, uh, nudging you in the right direction, using their expert, providing you with advice and so forth. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to start. All right. Um, this is the last question. It comes from Sue. From Hobart in Tasmania, um, they've been they've just been in a snap three day a snap lockdown in Tasmania in southern Tasmania in Hobart. So uh, hopefully everything's all right down there now. Um, uh, her question is: the club I am with is refusing to move move with the times around player recruitment. How would you suggest I go about trying to get them to change their thinking? Interesting. Is there a sport? Do we know the sport? Yes, it's basketball. Hey, there you go. Okay. First of all, um, shout out to Tasmania. I, uh, I know Tasmanian basketball coaches uh, and uh, with basketball Tasmania and, and, and so forth. Um, so, you know, and the Jack Jumpers are there now, which is, which is like, that has to be one of the best team names anywhere. Uh, it is. I, 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 it's different. I, yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. I'm, uh, 
I'm 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 going to be a fan. I'm going to be a supporter um, of the Jack Jumpers. If if for no other reason, then the name is really cool uh, to me. I I love that name. So in terms of player recruitment, and um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk specifically to a general question about how to move an organization from one position to a different position. And then we, we might be able to talk about player recruitment specifically. Um, I think that anytime someone is a part of a, of a team, part of an organization, and there is a disagreement uh, between you and the organization on a policy or on something that, you know, a way of doing things or, or whatever uh, it might be. It's critically important for you to um, ask yourself the following two questions. One, is this a hill that I am ready to die on? Um, in other words, how important is this to me? And, you know, it's not, that's, it, it, you know, the answer is not just going to be yes or no, right? The answer could be, I'm not sure. Um but it's important that you ask yourself that question because that's going to help you understand what the steps need to be that you need to be taken next, right? If it is a hill uh, that you are ready to die on in the sense that this is a critically important thing to you and you think that the club is dead wrong on uh, something, then plant your flag and fight for that hill. And then that tells you, okay, now I need to go about doing this in particular ways. And we'll, we'll get to, to the, what happens next. Um, the answer could be, you know what? I disagree with this a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, um, it's not something that I'm, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And what I mean by hill willing to die on in this particular type of situation is, am I willing to sever the relationship with the organization? Um, over this particular issue, over this particular process, over this particular, probably not in this example um, from, from our, our listener. Um, but I, I think it's important nonetheless that, co- that we start with that question. How important is this hill to me? And then the second question that uh, we always, in my opinion, we always um, need to ask is how loud Am I willing to be about this? And those are two separate things. Like I could answer, no, this is not a hill I'm willing to die on. Okay, well, how loud am I willing to be? Yes, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Okay, how loud am I willing to be? Well, I'm not sure. Okay, how loud, given that I'm not sure, am I willing to be about this particular topic? And by loud, I don't mean standing in the middle of the the stadium and screaming, you know, at the top of my lungs, uh, <laughs> you know, what I mean is, okay, now I need to start having conversations. And it, it certainly sounds like our listener has, has probably had those conversations already to some degree. Um, but when you start with those two questions, you can then begin to chart out what the next things need to be for you. Um, and it tells you how you go about doing it. Where are you in the in the organization? Who do you report to? Um, you know, are you a competition coordinator? Are you a coach? Are you the CEO? Like, where where are you? And you know, maybe the board is unwilling to move. Um, you know, these questions are still, I think, relevant no matter where you might find yourself. And so, once you've gone through that process, I would say, okay, you need to start building relationships and uh, an awareness of what the organization, where the terrain really is. So now I'm getting a little bit political or a little bit strategic in this sense, but I think all this is, is just organizational behavior, right? Um, so, okay, who, who, are, who are my allies in this? Is, are there any allies? Am I the only one who believes this? Um, and you kind of go through this, well, this is not a hill I'm willing to die on. I'm willing to be moderately loud about this. I have no allies. 
Okay, well, that kind of tells you <laughs> where, where you're headed with all this. Um, and who are the people that are adamantly opposed? Who are the people that are amenable, but unsure? And who are the people that are lockstep with you? 100%, this makes total sense. Uh, we need to get with the times, you know, in this example. And basically, you are proceeding through your, your process. Be, be smart about it, you know. Understand, you know, where you are, who you report to. Start your conversations there. Um, start your conversations with your peers, you know, your colleagues, um, the people that are in roles similar to yours. Work your way up. Um, understand who's who, where they stand and so forth, because what you're really doing is you're trying to build, um, uh, for lack of a better term, a case, right? Um, for example, when I was an, uh, an athletic director at a, at a university, you know, one of the key elements that I had a significant disagreement with our university administration about um, at, at the start was regarding our athletic affiliation and, you know, the level of sport that we would be competing at. And, um, you know, in other words, they were fine with the status quo. I was not fine with the status quo. Um, I felt that we needed to, to change things in different ways. Okay. Well, I could have just gone back and back and back and forth to the, to the president or to the vice president and to, you know, banging my head against the wall, banging their head against the wall um, with this idea and so forth. And it probably would have led to nothing, right? Um, because I was a single voice. I felt it was a very important topic, important enough for me to die on that hill. I was willing to be loud about it. And so I went about understanding who else agreed with me or who else wanted to have a discussion amongst the other directors and managers and, and, and so forth. And I was able to build a case and I was able to build and say, hey, like to build data, okay? Um, and provide a business case, provide detailed information, not just, well, other people are doing it, we should do it. Okay, what does that mean? How are they doing it? Why are they doing it? What have they done? Where's the, the proof? And what will that mean for us? And what, what happens is that as I proceeded in that way, I became aware of the reasons why they were so adamantly opposed. And it turns out that they were not opposed, in my case, in that situation anyway, they were not opposed to, to, to the idea because they were rooted in the past. It was because they were wary of certain things occurring. And so as I, then I was able to speak specifically to those concerns and overcome them. And eventually, you know, we, you know, we won the days so for lack of a better term. So in this case, for this coach, you know, the process would sound to be the same, generally speaking, you know, you want to understand how important it is to you, you want to know how loud you're willing to be. And, and, and then you want to go through the process of understanding who's with you, who's not against who's not with you. Um, but as you do that, you'll understand really the reasons why the club is stuck in the status quo, stuck in the past. Maybe they don't know how to recruit. Maybe, maybe they've never done it and they're fearful of doing it wrong. Maybe they have misguided assumptions about recruiting or about, um, you know, you know, that whole idea. You, you don't know. Um, and, and until you do know, it's difficult for you to, to overcome an objection that you don't really understand. Um, and so that whole process is designed to help you understand what it is that you're actually trying to overcome. And, and then it's the long game. You got to play the long game. You got to be ready to articulate your case, you know, explain why, bring data in such and such association down the road or in, you know, uh, in, in, another, in another city, in another state, whatever the case may be, let me make it relevant to us here in Hobart, um, okay? Uh, this is how they've experienced it. This is how I think we can experience it. And you, you sort of just try to address the reasons for their 
uh, concerns. And frankly, if it matters enough uh, and the club is just unwilling to modernize, and I'm not making a value judgment about whether recruitment is modernizing or not, because uh, I don't know the context specifically um, at your club. Um, but if they're not willing to do that, then, you know, maybe you have to run for the board, right? Uh, and maybe you have to put yourself in a decision-making position, or maybe you have to change clubs or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think that um, overall, though, if you can build a set of KPIs, right, and say, hey, this is what happens because we have not recruited, our performance is down, our retention is down, our players are leaving for other clubs for these reasons, um, you know, you can begin to address that whole picture. And it might take a bit of time. It'll certainly take longer than what you want. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think generally speaking, the general principles of how to get an organization to change apply. And, uh, and then specifically to the recruiting piece, it's a hot button topic um, at every level all over the place. Sometimes there are, you know, rules regarding uh, recruiting and uh, that either prohibit it or make it um, allowed. So I, 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 you know, without knowing more, I would love to talk about this more, frankly, because um, like I said, I, I love Tasmania. So, you know, please reach out to me because I would love to talk about this particular um, subject. Uh, I love recruiting myself and we do it in college or in university, obviously all the time. It's the lifeblood of what we do. Um, but I know that it's not, it's not, a, it's not uh, appropriate for every level. Sounds like it, it, it kind of is, or at least it's something that's happening on the ground there. Um, so yeah, I'd love to continue that conversation and shout out to basketball Tasmania, Mark Radford, um, and, uh, and the team of coaches down there. Um, everybody is doing a great job because Tasmania consistently punches above its weight at, at, uh, at national championships and, uh, and whatnot. And they've had some, some very good players who have gone on to do some very good things, uh, within the sport of basketball. And, you know, and in closing, Interestingly enough, I interviewed for a job with Basketball Tasmania back in 2015, something like that, um, and um, obviously ended up not going down there, but super cool people and a great state. So, yeah, that was interesting that a question came from, from, uh, from down there about this. I, I hope that was helpful. And, and again, as you say, if Sue is listening or if, if – and, and hopefully she'll watch the program back later if she's not listening – Send us an email. I'll get you. We'll get in touch uh, so David can have a further conversation with you for sure about this particular because it is a, it, I guess it's an interesting topic in general, really, isn't it? Really, because there's a lot of there's a lot of areas around it. Uh, having been a head coach myself, recruitment is always a bit of an interesting one. Um, I, I I always say that, particularly in my sport, that I like to use recruitment as, as a way to fill the gaps where our development our homegrown internal development hasn't produced what we're looking for, um, but it's, it's there as a complement to that. But it is an interesting topic how to how to how to do it and how to go about it. But uh, yeah, and it, it depends on the age, uh, depends on you know the context as well. Um, you know, obviously, I know for example in in, in high school recruiting is not not supposed to happen. Um, it does. Uh, and then, you know, every high school coach needs to make a decision uh, about, you know, what, what they're going to go about, how they're going to go about building their program and so forth. And, and so it's, it is, I think at the end of the day, there is always the ethical question and, and you don't want to be, um, you know, recruiting someone who is committed to a different organization. I think transparency is always the best policy. If, a, if an athlete contacts you, um, you know, I think it's okay to have conversations in the off season, perhaps, or, you know, I, there, there are always, uh, particularly in smaller locations, right? Everybody knows everybody, like you might be in with one club, but you might be neighbors to somebody from a different club. Like it, it's, it, it's not necessarily this sort of nasty business or anything like that at all. Um, but I just think, 
when it comes to changing, you know, pushing an organization to change, you're never going to succeed if you don't understand why they're resisting. So go through a process that's going to tell you how really important it is to you um, or not. And, and then you can figure out why they're resistant and then you can work to overcome those, uh, those concerns. Well, David, thank you again, uh, as usual. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. We've, we've, we're still getting questions coming in. We've got a lot more we, we can go through in, in future shows. Um, thank you again to everyone. Thank you again to David for being, being with us today. And we look forward to seeing you again next week uh, for another Thinking Coach. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Jerome. I, I, I love this format. I think it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Keep the questions coming. Keeps me on the hot seat, too, because I never, I never know. I don't know what you're going to ask. Um, so it's, uh, it's a great, uh, it's an invigorating discussion for me as well, because it challenges me, um, you know, to be reflective as well on the topics that you bring up. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty neat, uh, you know. Keep keep the questions coming, and looking forward to next week. Catch you all again next week.